Is God real? Are the stories in the Bible true? I need answers. Welcome to A Closer Look with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to spend the next hour with us as we delve into the study of God's Word. We can't do what we don't know. Here at Shiloh, we want to spend time studying the Word so that we can rightly apply the Word to our daily living and make a difference in our community and in our world for Jesus Christ. Won't you join us now for a closer look into God's Word? We are inviting your attention to Luke chapter 12. The primary verses we're going to work with are verses 13 through 21. We might read some of the verses preceding and a few of the verses proceeding, but primarily we're looking at uh, the parable that Jesus tells of the rich farmer. Uh, uh, People like to call him the rich fool. Uh, I think it's appropriate to say that he behaved in a foolish manner. But let's remember, these are stories. These are not real people. Jesus tells a story, and and in the story, he's trying to make a point. We have been discussing extravagant generosity, uh, giving generously. And uh, today, we want to talk about what we have entitled, you'll see it at the top of your notes when you get them, a practicum on selfishness. A practicum on selfishness. Sometimes the best way to make a point is to highlight the errors of the opposing perspective. We have spent the last two times that we've been together talking about generosity and generous giving, uh, trying to highlight what it means to give generously. Uh, I think that today we're going to spend some time, I don't think, I know today we're going to spend some time uh, looking at what is the opposite of generosity. The opposite of generosity is selfishness. And, And that's what we want to highlight, selfishness. What are the errors, the dangers of adopting a spiritual lifestyle of selfishness? Well, let's start with this. Selfishness means just what it sounds like. I put me above everybody else. I am concerned about me first, last, and uh, Always. Now, sometimes we, 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 we phrase that in such a way to make it sound like we're, we're really not just concerned about us. We'll say things like me and mine when really mine is secondary and it's really about me. Uh, 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 or we'll say that I have to keep my priorities in a certain kind of way. Well, look at the, uh, look at the end of Luke chapter 12, uh, past the verses that we just listed. Look over at verse 22. For those who who say that I I have to put my priorities in order. And this is Jesus speaking about priorities. Don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or if the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your inner life than the food you put in your stomach 
more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the ravens, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, carefree in the care of God, and you count far more. Has anyone, by fussing before the mirror, ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? If fussing can't even do that, why fuss at all? Walk into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They don't fuss with their appearance, but have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the wildflowers, most of them never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you? Take pride in you? Do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is get you to relax, not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you both know God and how he works. Steep yourself in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Don't be afraid of missing out. You're my dearest friends. The Father wants to give you the very kingdom itself. Be generous. Give to the poor. Get yourselves a bank that can't go bankrupt. A bank in heaven, far from bank robbers, safe from embezzlers, a bank you can bank on. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Now, I know I read that slow, but I read it slow because I wanted to make emphasis on what he is saying. This is what Jesus says our priority should be. And if we are disciples of Christ, then we ought to be committed to that which Jesus tells us should be our number one priority. You don't get to usurp what Jesus says. Not and call yourself a disciple. Now, I know all of us are going to say, well, I'm a free moral agent. I can do whatever I want to do. Yes, you can. But you can't do whatever you want and call yourself a disciple of Christ at the same time. Those two don't go together. So if, if, if you're going to say, I have to get my priorities in order and your priorities don't line up with what Jesus just gave you as the priority, and what you're saying is, my priorities are more important than his. And I don't think that anybody really wants to say that. So we don't want to lack in generosity. We don't want to adopt a lifestyle, a behavior of selfishness, because it is contrary to the will of God. It is contrary to what God expects of us, desires from us. God will not force himself on anyone. And yet he does tell you what he wants. 
And it's important that we try to live up to that. Considering the text that, that we're going to be looking at today, verses 13 through 21, referring back to the book that started this all, uh, started this whole Bible study, uh, Robert Schnee's uh, writing about practicing extravagant generosity. He writes this to draw a contrast between generosity and selfishness. He uses an analogy regarding birds and the building of nests. Listen to this. During the months to come, birds of all kinds would pour extraordinary effort, time, and ingenuity to the construction of nests, the protection of eggs, and the feeding of their vulnerable young ones. Every ounce of the adult's energy is devoted not to their own comfort and feeding, but to the survival of their young. The notion of building nests is often used as a metaphor, I'm still reading, to describe people successfully providing for their own comforts. In actual fact, the nests which birds build are not for the birds who build them, but for their young, for the next generation, for the future of the species. The hours of carrying straw, sticks, and mud, the days of defensive watchfulness, and the weeks of endless feeding are all for the benefit of the new ones, the young, the future. Still reading. Does our giving serve us and our needs? or serve God by serving the mission of the church to reach new people. Those new to the faith are as vulnerable as hatchlings and require a steady and dedicated effort of feeding. For those who practice extravagant generosity, the nests we build are not for ourselves, they are for the next generation. Those new to the faith, the future of the body of Christ. That's on pages 14 through 16 of the book, Practicing Extravagant Generosity. Building on the bishop's metaphor, we would add that nest building is as much for the present vulnerable as it is for the future vulnerable. This is the point of Jesus's parable that's found in Luke chapter 12. Look at verse 13. Someone out of the crowd said, Teacher, order my brother to give me a fair share of the family inheritance. He replied, Mister, what makes you think it's any of my business to be a judge or mediator for you? Speaking to the people, he went on, Take care, protect yourself against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. Now, I like to put scripture in context. I, 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 I don't want us to, to just lift up the parable without lifting up what takes place before the parable because it kind of sets the stage for how the parable takes place. So, go back to verse 1 of chapter 12, and let's read up to verse 13. 
By this time, the crowd, unwieldy and stepping on each other's toes, numbered into the thousands. But Jesus' primary concern was his disciples. He said to them, he said to them. Do you see that? He said to them, which says what? He's not talking to the crowd. He's talking to the disciples. Now, the crowd was there. The crowd overhears the conversation, but the crowd was not the recipient of what Jesus said. Have you ever listened in on a, y'all were sitting there before we started. Y'all were listening in on somebody's conversation. Right? Y'all wasn't just sitting there with your hands over your ears where you couldn't, y'all heard something. Y'all made a little facial expression. Mm. Mm. All right. But the fact that you heard it doesn't mean that it was directed toward you. Sometimes my mother would get mad with, with, with my brother or my sister, and I tried to mediate. And I would try to say, Mama, that's not the way it went. And the first thing she said was, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> I wasn't talking to you. There was a crowd there. The way that, that Luke describes the crowd, it was a big crowd. It was a boisterous crowd. It was an unruly crowd. But Jesus wasn't talking to the crowd. He was talking to his disciples. Why is that relevant to what comes up later? Because we have to learn how to distinguish between that which Jesus says to the church and that which he says to other folk who are not the church. In the case of these words, he's speaking to the church. When it says his disciples, you can substitute the church for disciples. There are things that you won't understand there are things that weren't intended for you unless and until you become a part of the church. So you should not be upset, put off, disappointed, angered by the fact that those who are not a part of the church don't understand everything that goes on in the church. You know why? Because it ain't for them. Because while God created everybody, everybody ain't his child. It's one thing to say that I am God's creation. It's something else altogether to say that I'm his child. There was a crowd, but the crowd was not who Jesus was talking to. Luke makes it plain. He talked to his disciples. Watch carefully so you don't get contaminated with Pharisee yeast, yeet Pharisee phoniness. You can't keep your true self hidden forever. Before long, you'll be exposed. You can't hide behind a religious mask forever. Sooner or later, the mask will slip and your true face will be known. You can't whisper one thing in private and preach the opposite in public. The day is coming when those whispers will be repeated all over town. I'm speaking to you as dear friends. Don't be bluffed into silence or insincerity by the threats of religious bullies. True, they can kill you, but then what can they do? There's nothing they can do to your soul, your core being. Save your fear for God who holds your entire life, body and soul, in his hands. What's the price of two or three pet canaries? Some loose change, right? 
But God never overlooks a single one. And he pays even greater attention to you, down to the last detail, even numbering the hairs on your head. So don't be intimidated by all this bully talk. You're worth more than a million canaries. Stand up for me among the people you meet, and the Son of Man will stand up for you before all God's angels. But if you pretend you don't know me, do you think I'll defend you before God's angels? If you badmouth the Son of Man out of misunderstanding or ignorance, that can be overlooked. But if you're knowingly attacking God himself, taking aim at the Holy Spirit, that won't be overlooked. When they drag you into their meeting places or into police courts and before judges, don't worry about defending yourselves, what you'll say or how you'll say it. The right words will be there. The Holy Spirit will give you the right words when the time comes. Then you get to verse 13. Someone out of the crowd said, teacher, order my brother to give me a fair share of the family inheritance. Now, I wanted to read all 12 of those verses leading up to that to get to verse 13, because I want you to see something. The man asked a question that had absolutely nothing to do with what Jesus was talking about. Did you see that? Y'all just sitting there looking at me like, like, like I'm crazy. He asked a question that was completely irrelevant to what Jesus was talking about. Jesus is talking about making sure that your righteousness is superior to the phony, the false, the fake righteousness. Hi, Mr. Trump. The fake righteousness of, 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 of the Pharisees. Jesus is talking about what it means to live uh, a pious, a holy life before God, following God's instruction. And the man interrupts Jesus to ask about something that was not even on the agenda. Do you know that that's the way people are? Now, I'm here talking about extravagant generosity. I'm here talking about generous giving, but I, but I, I had to make that point because this is what people do. People come with what they want to know, with what's on their mind, and they ain't the least bit interested in anything else that you know. They will take you far off into a field and leave you there just in order to get what they want. Clearly, this man was in the crowd, but he was not paying attention to what was being said. Why? Because it wasn't for him. How do you know it wasn't for him? Because he wasn't one of the disciples. The disciples would, wouldn't have asked that question. Not at this time. Don't think that everybody who comes to church is in the church. Don't think that everybody who comes to church cares about what the church is doing. One of the reasons why I'm about to pick on somebody for a second. One of the reasons why some of y'all come late to church because y'all don't like what goes on before y'all get here. The offering ought to be over with by 8.15. That's what time I'm going to come in. I don't like all that praise and worship singing. 
What time the preacher getting? That's all I care about anyway is the preacher. Some of us only, we, we, we have our mindset on one thing and one thing only. And, and the problem with that is there are things that are happening that could be helpful to you. And they have gone right by you because you are so fixed on the one thing that you are trying to do. Jesus gives all of this meat and it goes right by this guy because he's only interested in one thing and one thing alone. And that is getting the money that he thinks should be his. All right. I had to get that out of my system. Now, let's actually talk about the man and the question that he asks. Based on what we are told in the text, there are things that we do not know. For example, has this man been disinherited by his father? We don't know. All we know is the question. Order my brother to give me a fair share of the family inheritance. Now, there are things that could have caused, there are reasons why. This could be the case, that, that he was not given a fair share. One reason could have been that the father disinherited the son. Fathers could do that. We don't know, was this man a product of concubinage? When, when, when we were going through the Genesis account and we talked about the difference between a concubine and a wife and the fact that the, the, the offspring of concubines did not automatically share in the same rights as the offspring of wives. We don't know whether that's the case. The, the text doesn't say. What we are fairly certain about is that this man was not the eldest brother because the eldest brother was the one that was responsible for distributing the inheritance once the father died. The eldest brother is probably the one that he's complaining about, that he's railing against. We also know that this man clearly felt like he had been cheated by his family. And he wanted Jesus to act as judge and to rule in his favor and therefore give him what he perceived to be justice. That's where the man is. Jesus has a different perspective. Jesus' priority for this man was very different than the priority that the man had for himself. And more often than not, that's the case. What does Jesus say to the man? He says, what makes you think that this is my responsibility? By that statement, he's making it clear that the man had a misunderstanding of who Jesus was and why he had come. Now, is there a reason why the man would think that Jesus could do that? Yes, according to Jewish law, inheritance disputes were traditionally settled by the rabbis or the teachers of the law. And in that Jesus was teaching on the law and expounding, he thought that Jesus was certified to deal with this issue. But Jesus says, that's not why I came at all. And that's not what I am talking about. And it serves as proof that while this man had been in Jesus' presence, he had not been listening to what Jesus was saying. 
And so I make the point one more time. We can be in Jesus's presence. We can be observers and recipients of his generosity and still not hear what Jesus is teaching. We can come to church every time the church door is open, sing every hymn, all three verses, and the refrain twice. We can quote the scripture as well as anybody. But if we're really not listening to what Jesus is saying, we walk out of here no better than we were when we came in. It's not enough to be in the room. Your heart has to be of a certain posture. Second thing Jesus lifts up to this man is that you have to be careful about making more out of possessions than relationships. We don't know what, the, what this man's relationship was with, with, with his brother. Clearly, at this point, it was strained. We don't know whether it had always been that way, whether it was strained because of this singular issue. But Jesus says, regardless of the reason, you can't make more out of possessions than you do about relationships. This man was so desirous of getting what he thought should have been his that he was willing to lose the relationship in order to get it. And what it suggests is that if Jesus is not at the center of our being, we're going to always have our lives out of balance because we're always going to be looking at other things rather than what God wants us to make our first priority. You, you, you heard what, what we read at the back end of Luke chapter 12. You do know what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 too, right? Seek first. Seek first. Seek first the kingdom. In other words, your life is out of balance if the kingdom is not at the center. Seek first the kingdom. He doesn't say seek only the kingdom. He says, seek first the kingdom. And he says, if the kingdom is first, everything else will fall into its proper place. This man had a problem because he put possessions ahead of relationships. And many of us have problems because we put our stuff ahead of people. And I ain't just talking about your, 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 your seatmate turn to your neighbor. I ain't, I, ain't, I ain't just talking about that. I'm talking about the people that you live with. I'm talking about the people that you married to. I'm talking about the people that you brought into this world. Do you know that parents and children are at each other's throats over stuff? Do you know that siblings can't stand each other over stuff? And I ain't talking about you. I don't know nothing about you but I know you know somebody about who I'm talking about. We put things ahead of relationships. And when we do that, it's an indicator that God is not at the center. Listen to how Jesus responds to, 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 to this man. He says two things. He says, one, take care. And two, protect yourself. 
Take care means that we have to recognize that this danger of selfishness actually exists. Watch out. Be careful. Look out. You can put any of those terms in there that you want. What he's simply saying is take it. Know that it exists. Know that the reality is there. Don't think that what's true for everybody else is somehow not true for you. I hear, I hear some of y'all say stuff like, I don't get mad. The person who usually says I don't get mad is mad while they're saying I don't get mad. I don't let that stuff bother me. And you got to say that five times to make sure they heard you. And it's an indicator that it's actually bothering you. So the first thing he says is take it, recognize that selfishness does exist. Recognize that there is something in us that says, I want to be treated a way that I think is fair and right. Second, he says, protect yourself. That means that you have to exercise vigilance in resisting the temptation that selfishness presents. Because this is what selfishness essentially says. Selfishness is built on, on, on this belief that I am better than other people. That's what selfishness basically is. When, when, when you strip away all the other stuff around it, it basically comes down to this. I am better than other people. Not I am better than how I am being treated, because that sounds good, but that ain't really what you say. What you're saying is I am better than other people. That's what selfishness means. And I want what I think I should have. There's a danger in that. That, that. that belief system can ruin our lives and it cuts off generosity. Getting back to what it is that, that, that we're really talking about, generosity. Jesus, in response to that belief system, lifts up a principle. Before he gets into the parable, he lifts up a principle. And the principle is this. Life is not defined by what you have, comma, in bold, underlined, italicized, even if what you have is a lot. Why, why, why do you have to underline it, italicize it, and bold it? Because there are some people who rest more on what they have than on their relationship with God. You've heard me say many times, we sometimes confuse the blessing with the blesser. And, 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 and with what God has blessed us, we get so enamored with the blessing that we forget who made the blessing possible. And the blessing suddenly becomes more important than the blesser. And so Jesus says, life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. It's important that you get that exactly the way that Jesus says it. 
Because if not, you can come away with the wrong understanding. Jesus is not condemning those who have a lot. And if you have a lot and if God has blessed you to have a lot, that's a wonderful thing. He's not condemning that. Don't let anybody shame you because you got a lot. What he's saying is, don't think that because you have a lot, that's the be-all, end-all of life. Don't think that that defines who you are. There are a whole lot of rich, low-down, no-good folk. Ooh, it was so easy to go there, and I didn't. I'm so proud of myself. I didn't go where I wanted to go. There, there, there are some well-to-do, financially secure, terrible people. There are some well-to-do, financially secure, unhappy people. There are some well-to-do, financially secure, mean-spirited people. Because life is not about what you have. Life is about recognizing that God is in control. And when he is at the center, it's when he's at the center, then you recognize that what God has blessed you to have is not meant to be merely a possession. It's meant to be a commodity. I don't know nothing about stocks. I went to school, got a business degree. Thank God I never had to use it. Uh, but, but they talked in, 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 in school about knowing what commodities were. Commodities are things that you get in order to trade for other stuff that you want. When you take the attitude that God is in control and that God is at the center of your life, then money becomes nothing more than a commodity. We use it in order to accomplish God's will. So if God has blessed you with more, then God has also given you greater opportunity to be a blessing to somebody else. And that's the crux of the parable. First, he gives the principle. Now let's get to the parable. He told them a story. The farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. He talked to himself. You see that? He talked to himself. Not to God. Not to anybody else. Didn't go to the priest or the Levite. Didn't go to the Pharisees or the Sadducees. He talked to himself. What can I do? My barn isn't big enough for this harvest. Then he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll gather in all my grains and goods, and I'll say to myself, self, I don't need nobody to talk to me. I can talk to myself. I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. You've got it made and can now retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. Just then, God showed up and said, fool, tonight you die. 
and your barn full of goods, who gets it? I think it's significant for you to see that he talked to himself. The beginnings of selfishness is in realizing that, 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 that you think that there's nobody else to compare to you. I don't need nobody else's advice. I don't, I, don't need, I don't need to consult with anybody else, not even the Lord. I am my own best consultant. Mr. President, he has said, I don't need to consult with anybody. I don't need any advisors. I'm my own best advisor. Amen. Well, I did it the first time. Couldn't stop myself the second time. <laughs> he didn't want to talk with somebody because somebody would have told him that what he was thinking about doing was against the law. Not civil law. Against God's law. Remember, Jesus is now talking to this man who, who, who wants uh, him to, to, to divide this stuff between uh, himself and his brother. And, and, and Jesus says that this farmer had all of this stuff. And according to law, according to the law of Moses, it was the responsibility of those who had much to leave something for those who did not have so that they could share as well. It was called the gleanings of the field. Y'all familiar with, with Ruth's story? And Boaz had this big field, and, 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 and they were out there harvesting, but then there were a group of women who were running behind the harvesters, picking up what the harvesters left behind, and Ruth got in with the, with the women who were picking up the gleanings of the field. Well, that wasn't just in Ruth's story. That was a part of the law. That was, to, that was an act of compassion, an act of love, an act of generosity for those who did not. Not everybody owned land. Not everybody had farms. Not everybody could grow crops. What were they supposed to do? How was the community supposed to be fed? The law did not say that you ought to deprive yourself of what you need. The law said just take what you need and leave something for somebody else. And the reason why this man didn't want to talk to anybody else is because somebody would have told him what the law said. I'm making a point. Sometimes we don't want to talk to nobody because we don't want nobody to tell us that what we're doing is wrong. And it ain't because we don't know that it's, that it's wrong. We just don't want nobody else to, to, to say it. It's something about you knowing it inside yourself and, 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 and somebody telling you. It's like when my wife tells me, you don't need that next piece of cake. I know I didn't, I didn't need it. When I went to cut it, I knew I didn't need it. Saturday morning, I... I I, I get up early. For those who don't know, I get up real early. Between 3.30 and 4 o'clock in the morning, I get up. Around 6 o'clock, I, I, I snuck into the room and gra grabbed my keys. And she said, where are you going? I said, I'm, I'm going to the store to get some donuts for breakfast. That's what she did, brother time. Mm. 
What you oofing about? You know you don't need no donuts. They're eggs in the refrigerator. All you got to do is make some eggs. You know what I did? I put down my keys, went to the kitchen, and scrambled me up some eggs and bacon because I didn't want to hear the rest of the day. <laughs> you know you ain't need them notes. Now, I knew when I went to grab the keys, I didn't need no donuts. But until she said it, I had every intention of going around the corner to Mary Lee and getting some donuts. This man didn't want to talk to anybody else because he didn't want anybody else to tell him what he already knew was right. This wasn't his first harvest. He was a farmer. He said this was the biggest harvest he had ever had, which suggested he had had harvests before this one. He knew what the law was. He knew what the tradition was. He knew what the custom was. He wasn't interested in what he knew. And so he kept his consultation just to himself. He talked to himself. Self, what are we going to do about this huge harvest? I know what I'll do. I want you to notice, every personal pronoun that he could use, I and my, is what he says. I will tear down my old bonds, and I will build new bonds in order to hold all of my harvest. And I'm not concerned about anybody else. And once I get it all, do you know how mean you have to be to go out of your way to keep stuff so that nobody else can have any of it? I'm fighting it, Brother Whitley. Do you know how mean you got to be? And yet that's what Jesus says this man does. He, he goes out of his way. He goes to extra effort in order to make sure that nobody can have what he deems to be his. And then he says, self, we can go into retirement now. We ain't got to do nothing else. Take your rest, eat, drink, and be merry. Got enough to last me the rest of his life. And Jesus says, little did he know that wouldn't be very long. King James Version, I believe, says that night. Peterson says, right after he said that, just as he said that, God showed up and said, fool, you about to die right now. And that barn full of stuff, who's it going to be for then? There's a principle involved. I got 17 minutes to make, a, to make three points. What is it that Jesus is trying to teach us? Point number one, if we are to have generosity, then we have to remember who's in control of our lives. 
and it's not us. I know that, 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 that this farmer's concern was only about himself, but it escaped this man's mind that he was not in control. And sometimes we get so full of ourselves. That's what selfishness is. We get so full of ourselves that we forget that we are not in control. Do I have to go back and read what Jesus says at the end of Luke 12? You can look in a mirror. You can't add one inch to your height. I like to, I, I like to mess with y'all about the dye and the cream and all that other stuff. It don't. It, it, it don't make you no younger. It doesn't change the, the date on your birth certificate. <laughs> color your hair whatever color you want. It can be black in the morning, brown in the afternoon, blonde at night. It don't change the number that's on your birth certificate. And I don't care how much you, 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 you listen to folk tell you how good you look, it don't change the fact that you're getting old. That is getting late in the evening and the sun is going down. You are not in control. Those of you who have known me all my life know that there was a time when I had a huge afro. Huge. Terrence, I'm going to give you the pictures. You can put it on the TV when, when we do this. I had a huge afro. And it was perfect. Every hair in its place. I wish all my hair has run away. I'm hanging on to the edges for dear life. And I refuse to color it. I, I ain't gonna be like these 80 year old men walking around with jet black hair. I ain't, Whatever color it is, is what it is. When it falls out, it's all gone. But it's a clear indicator that I ain't who I used to be. Now, if I had my way, I'd still have my fro. But that ain't in my control. There are things that are not in our control control. This man thought he was in control. And selfish people think that they are in control of their lives. You are not. That's point number one. Point number two, responsibility accompanies receipt of the blessing. Responsibility accompanies receive. You can't want the blessing. You can't receive the blessing and not accept the responsibility that goes along with it. Again, going back to those whom God has blessed to have more. If you have more, then it is incumbent upon you to do more with what you have. It is incumbent upon you to spread what you have around to more places because you simply have more to spread. Scripture talks about a time when Jesus was watching people come and give their offering in, in, in either synagogue or temple. I can't remember which one it was. But, but, but a woman comes with, with two pennies. 
what, 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 what the King James Version calls uh, her might. And, and, and she puts that into the basket. And Jesus praises her because he says she's given more than everybody else because she gave all that she could. Jesus sitting at the table with, with, with Simon and some other Pharisees. Simon had just been healed of leprosy. And this woman comes up behind him and she takes some very expensive ointment and pours it over him and, and anoints his body and then wets his feet with her tears and wipes them with the hairs of her head. And not only do the Pharisees fuss about it, his disciples fuss about it. And Jesus has to say, let her alone. She has done what she could. Jesus praises those who do what they can. Now, if he's given you more than you can, do more. You've heard me say before that, that, that one, one of the inherent problems with the dues system that most of us remember in the church is that dues weren't based upon your blessing. Everybody was expected to pay the same amount in dues. Now, for those who worked in white folks' kitchens, the dues was an expensive proposition. For those who had their own businesses and ran their own companies or who worked at the plant, then the dues were not nearly as big a, 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 a concern as those who, who were making lesser amounts of money. That's why the dues system was inherently unfair. You could make way more money and say, I'm all right because I paid my dues because the dues didn't hurt you. God's system is not a dues system. God's system is to give proportionately as he has given to you. So whereas a dollar is a sacrifice for somebody, $10 don't hurt some other folk. $50 don't hurt some other folk. $100 don't hurt some other folk. Now, is it a matter of, of, of you, you must because you can? It's not a matter that you must. It's a matter that you should. And you should want to. Because the more you give, it's, in, it's an acknowledgement of what God has done for you. And that's why Paul says, do it cheerfully. Not grudgingly. Not out of necessity. I don't care how many times we stand up here and tell y'all, y'all got to do it. The Bible says you don't have to do it. There, I put that out there for everybody to watch. The Bible says you don't have to do it. But Jesus says you ought to do it. Not the preacher. Not the building fund. Not whatever ministry. Jesus says that you ought to in acknowledgement for what he has done for you. If you are strong and somebody else is weak, are you not responsible to Christ to use your strength to compensate for somebody else's weakness? Well, if you ain't got no problem picking up a brother who's falling, why you got a problem putting an extra $10 in, in, in the plate when you know you got it and it ain't going to hurt you? Receipt of the blessing comes with a responsibility. Not to be big and bold in front of folk, but because you know what God has done 
for you. Third point, because y'all didn't get with number two, that's fine. Third point, the true goal of life is to be a source of enrichment into the lives of others. That's where the selfish philosophy falls apart. Because the selfish philosophy says that the true goal of life is to enrich myself. Self, going to retirement. Self, you got everything you need. Self, you are set for life. You ain't got to worry about nothing else. That's the way selfish folk think. But Jesus says that the true goal of life is not to think only about you, but to think about how you can enrich somebody else's life. Jesus says, just after he got through talking to himself, God showed up. And God wasn't nice. Fool. Y'all know those fighting words. Fool. You about to die. Now, all that stuff you done stored up, whose is it going to be? Because it ain't yours. It's an attitude. It's a recognition. Not that you must, but that you may. And unless and until we recognize that it is that spirit of generosity that God has shown toward us, we're going to always fall short of the mark. Last word Jesus gives on this is in verse 21. Listen to this. This is what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. This is what happens when you put you ahead of what God wants for you. This word is designed to teach us how we are to live. And that is we are to live generously. I say again, I got six minutes, and we're going to be gone before those six minutes are up. I say, I, I say again, I, I don't hold with, with, with these people who tell you that you have to go out and borrow money in order to plant a seed in this ministry so that God can bless you. God didn't say that. Jesus didn't say that. And anybody who said it in his name is a liar and the truth is not in them. And if you did it, I say what Jesus said to the rich farmer when he showed up. Fool. Y'all been in church long enough to know that that ain't what the Bible said. Y'all done been to enough Sunday school classes and enough vacation Bible school classes and enough Bible studies that, that y'all know the Bible ain't never said go out and borrow stuff in order to give to this ministry. So, so if you do that, fool, tonight your soul is required of you. Now, what, 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 what he wants is with what you have, 
be generous. Take care of your family. Take care of your needs. Take care of the things that you have to do. But once you've done that, don't be so closed off that you can't recognize the need to help somebody else. Turning your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Last word we're going to say on this today. Not all together, y'all. Good, he's getting off this. No, we got a few more weeks of this. Last thing we're going to say about it today. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look at verses 6 through 10. This is Paul talking to Timothy, but he's also talking to us. A devout life does bring wealth, but it's the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. Since we entered the world penniless and will leave it penniless, if we have bread on the table and shoes on our feet, that's enough. That's what we say at funerals, by the way. Naked I came into this world, and naked I shall leave. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. We brought nothing into this world. And it is certain we can carry another. Some of y'all don't hear it unless it's from the King James Version, so I wanted to give it to you from the King James Version. If it's on, but if it's only money these leaders are after, they'll self-destruct in no time. Lust for money brings trouble and nothing but trouble. Going down that path, some lose their footing in the faith completely and live to regret it bitterly ever after. Skip down to verse 17. Tell those rich in this world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves and so obsessed with money, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Tell them to go after God who piles on all the riches we could ever manage to do good, to be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous. If they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last, gaining life 